Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. And I'm Matthew Derrigish. Very emphatic with that introduction today. You're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Today, I am pleased to announce that we are covering the infamous miniseries Trouble, written by Ooh. Mark... <laughs> written by Mark Miller... Pencils by Terry Dodson, inks by Rachel Dodson, colors for issues one through three were by Matt Hollingsworth, and the colors for issues four and five were Brian Reber. Trouble is not available digitally, but you can grab the hardcover trade on Amazon for about $2 plus shipping for the used version, or $5 new plus shipping. Ebaying the individual issues will put you back at about $20 for the whole run. My recommendation is to grab the used hardcovers unless you're just a diehard fan looking to collect those individual issues. Kane, there's another way to get this comic. What's the other way to get this comic? You can just fish it out of the dumpster. (laughs) To be fair, that's that's pretty much what I did uh, when I picked up... (laughs) When I uh, I got this at the same time I got uh, Soul of the Hunter, and uh, it it was at a con and it was buy three or buy two bro- books get one free. So I picked up this a copy of um, Kurt Busiek and uh, I'm blanking on the name Alex Ross. Yeah, uh, so I got a copy of Soul of the Hunter, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross's Marvels. And this was my free book because new in the cellophane wrapper, premier hardcore edition, this was $1 at a con. Yeah, so uh, that's a little preview for those who are not familiar with this title, just how well received it was. Uh, This is probably, maybe now that Teresa Parker is in main continuity, uh, family business has a run for the most recognizable that we've done so far, but like I know people who don't read Spider-Man comics that are familiar with this this story. Have have you read this one before, Matt? I know I did, but having read it again, I realized I blocked it out. <laughs> See, when you told me earlier that you you had read this but you didn't remember i thought you were just bluffing like you didn't want to admit to me that like you hadn't read this because there's no way to read this and not remember the insanity that happens in this so there's been a few moments in my life where there i've come across media so bad i actually blocked it out and in each instance i've had a friend or in this case frenemy that forced me to go back through it and remember, and I had a very violent flashback. Uh, This is one of the few times where I threw the comic down to the ground and cursed just because of what was within. It was something. Well, uh, I'm glad I got upgraded to Frenemy. Uh, (laughs) Here we go. We we had a good run. We had a good run. We had six, six episodes... And then I sent you a Japanese pop idol doing a cover of a rancid song and then made you read Trouble all within like 48 hours. It's okay. (laughs) You can still make it up to me (laughs) with Slinger's Month. (laughs) 
<laughs> there we go. Here you go, guys. This is the trade-off. Slingers month. It's coming. It's not coming. Uh, all right. <laughs> Let's get to the synopsis of this comic, because that's that's the real meat and potatoes here. All right. So this the story takes place in the 70s, and more on that later. But you've got high school upperclassmen, upperclassmen Mary, May, Richie, and Ben. And I'm going to mess that up later. I already know what's going to happen between Mary and May. It's literally one letter. Anyway, all four of them leave their quiet lives in Forest Hills for a summer job working in a resort in the Hamptons. After meeting at a dance, the four quickly start dating and uh, so you've got the quote-unquote wild May and the more demure Ben forming one couple and the hot shot Richie and the more principled May being the other. May and I think I already, I think I already did it. Did, did I say May or Mary? Anyway, Richie and Mary began dating. Uh, May and Ben become intimate almost immediately, but much to Richie's dismay, Mary wants to wait until she's 20 before she has sex due to a bad fortune that she got from a fortune teller. This drives Rich, Richie to May, and the two start an affair. Soon, May realizes that she's pregnant and tells Ben, who then tells her he's sterile. May then tells him that she's been seeing his brother, and then, after writing a goodbye letter to Mary, runs away for fear that her premarital sex and resulting pregnancy would destroy her fundamentalist Catholic family. May then starts to date a guy who picked her up hitchhiking, which is a solid choice, but fears he might seriously hurt her when he discovers she's pregnant. When she begins to show, she calls Mary, who meets up with her and comes up with a plan uh, to, to and so May and Mary continue their work in the Hamptons and May has her child in secret. Mary then takes the baby and passes it off as her own while confronting Richie using the baby as a test to see if Richie actually loves Mary or not. The two name the child Peter and Mary 18 months later because that's a great way to build a, a, like a relationship. And the story ends with May and Ben reconnecting at Mary and Richie's wedding reception. If that was hard to follow and a lot of like he said, she said, I mean, that's just the territory that 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 you cover in stories like this. You know, the teen melodramas, teen soaps, uh, whatever you want to call them. Uh, before before I get a little bit deeper into the background on this uh, on this story, because there is a little context surrounding the comic that you need to be aware of to, to fully appreciate. And yes, I do mean appreciate this comic. Uh, before I get into all of that, Matt, was there anything you wanted to add uh, to the synopsis? Any any detail I missed that, that you feel the readers would be remiss if they did not know? It's a turd. <laughs> there you go. You wanted to work that in there. I let you do it. All right. So, like the other Mark Miller, Terry Dotson uh, comic that we've read, uh, Trouble requires a little bit of setup to fully understand the context between behind the comic and why it was created. Trouble is not a Marvel comic per se, which I hope isn't a cue for you guys to turn off the podcast. But it's actually from Marvel's Epic imprint, which was their creator-owned imprint to compete with uh, Image. Trouble was birthed out of the second attempt to get Epic off the ground 
but both Trouble and Epic failed to gain any widespread traction with readers. Uh, during the initial press conference announcing Trouble, Marvel VP Bill Jameis revealed that the original title for the story was Parents, and that the story was the story deals with the origins of Spider-Man. He later backtracks on that, though, and says that this will only be the origin of Peter Parker if fans accept trouble. Like, that's the word he used, if they accept the title. And spoiler alert, they didn't. Uh, As for Miller himself, at the same press conference, he talked about his desire to write something that would appeal to the growing number of women that he had noticed attending conventions and posting on his website. Specifically, he mentions that he wanted to write something that would appeal to his young nieces who would come over to his house and kind of go through his library, but nothing would appeal to him. (laughs) Yeah, nothing would appeal to them. Uh, throughout the press conference, both Jemis and Miller make reference to young adult romance novels and the influence from things like Gossip Girl or Beverly Hills 90210 or Dawson's Creek is felt when reading this book, as well as some of the predecessors to that genre, genre namely the beach party genre of films from the 60s, uh, like Beach Party. <laughs> the movie Beach Party. Uh, Matt, do you have any experience with these teen soap, ops, uh, soap operas like did you watch anything like the OC or or 90210? The or... closest I got to anything like this was Buffy. Okay, well, Buffy's close. Or uh, arguably Sabrina? No, that does that's not closer. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say Buffy's closer. Um, well, I do. I never sat down and watched one start to finish, like, like watched a series. But my roommate post college was really into these for a while. Like she just devoured the OC, 90210, um, the Gossip Girl TV show. Uh, so I'm I'm very familiar with like the tropes and the kind of in, ins and outs of these things. And I, I'm gonna say that as you know, tabling the Spider-Man discussion. For a second, which oh, is let's great... table it for a while because I have three points that you want to get to before I get to that. Okay, well, I was going to say tabling the Spider-Man uh, conversation for a second, which is some a great thing to hear on a Spider-Man-centric podcast. I will say, as an entry into this like teen sex drama, uh, like mega genre, if you will, like this is this is a serviceable and solid entry into that. But um, that, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say right now on that. You, you gave me a heavy sigh. Do you, do you have uh, a different opinion on that? Well, so you're equating this with those kind of uh, early 2000 CW kind of melodramatic shows and whatnot, which is very much the time this was written. But uh, this is a comic, and so I was drawing more comic comparisons. The trouble is, um, you know, for the past several decades, we've been we've been hurting for romance comics overall. And by the way, I'm taking this as an excuse to go on a dive trap. I'm never going to get a chance again for on this podcast because this is going to touch ground that we're never going to get to with the Spider-Man comic. Um, oh, I've been, got one more up my sleeve. I got a few. Uh, so, yeah, so we, we're we hurting for romance comics. We have Love and Rockets. We 
had Strangers in Paradise, which just got rebooted, though uh, there's mixed feelings there. I don't need to get into that. But they're few and far between. I know there's been a couple other accounts made, what with the Luna Brothers, and I know Layla Del Duca is working on something currently. But we don't get much, especially from Marvel in this area, where it's a true romance or anything. And this book is not that either. We're dealing with some just kind of gutter, like, like romance pulp. Is that the way to put it? That's definitely one way to put it. But going back to, you know, these these teen soap, these young adults shows or books. I mean, that was that was the the target demographic they were shooting for. Uh, that I mean that that's I, I mean I understand that you know this is a comic we should be talking about comics, but these the, like just even just looking at the covers of these comics, they don't use a traditional illustrated cover. They're they're pictures of photo models, and they're very they're very evocative of of the covers of young adult romance novels at the time. I mean, I was working at a bookstore around these time around this time. And I can tell you, this is what the young adult section looked like. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine before, before we went on and I was telling, telling her about this and showed her the covers. She's like, yeah, that looks, that looks like it could be a cover for the uglies, which is a young adult romance series. Uh, I think there's like some sci-fi mixed in there too, because everyone loves their dystopias and YA stuff. But this, this comic came hot off the heels of another Spider-Man centric YA prose novel that was uh, targeted toward female readers called Mary Jane, which is something I want to eventually talk about on the show as well. But Do you mean uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane? Or... No, no, no. Not Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. It's a prose novel just called Mary Jane. Oh, that one. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So that one. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I've shown it to you. Um, anyway, so, so while, yes, this is a comic, and yes, we should compare it to comics, I don't think the original intention was entirely too pass it off as comics because the only reason this got a individual floppy issue run was to pull in some of the comic book readers but the the plan all along was to push this hard on the bookseller market rather than the, the direct market because the bookseller market is where they could grow and grab new 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 demographics unfortunately that never came to fruition because the the book failed. Jameis left, and this book never got did not get collected until 2011. Uh, I think the last issue came out in 2004. You know, we don't really know what the legacy of this book could have been had it gotten that push. Like, it's possible it could have found an audience to people who didn't really care that you know you got sexy Aunt Bay. Uh, you know, nude or semi-nude and like holding up a condom and giving the, the face at Tiger line. Um, There's so many problems there, by the way. <laughs> so, all right, well, do, do you want to, do you want to touch, do you want to get on that right now? Like, do you want to, do you want to jump straight to, because with the collected edition, that's literally the first image you see. Uh, the, you know, the dust jacket cover has May and Richie kissing, which 
spoiler come on but you open up the you open up the cover and then you've got the little like protector page and then you get the title page which is just aunt may in like like the the sheet over over the chest you know you know like the the network tv thing they do and the the face at tiger line and holding up a prophylactic like they, they don't they don't waste any time preparing you for what you're getting into with this yeah but on the other hand so i i want to take a step back okay and look at this as a period piece in which it fails on every conceivable level. So I, I, I want to pump the brakes just for a second and say that I think visually it succeeds as a period piece. No, it doesn't no? actually. Okay. All right. But I'd be curious to hear your defense, but okay. I already got this in the bag. Uh, <laughs> so, the timing is such that they make two references to the economy, and given that this is supposed to be something to line up with uh, Aunt May and Peter's parents, that puts the time frame uh, early, shall we say, since Peter has to be coming out around the 60s, but he'd be a decade old by then, the 50s. That means for Aunt May to be of grandma years this would have to be 1910-1920 to even work which this wouldn't even be because this is timed and placed to sound to be around the uh it'd be late 70s late 70s yeah there's a reference to the uh Oh, shoot the the Hollywood Hills Strangler, I believe, which was in seventy eight. Oh my god! Thanks, Google. <laughs> okay, the the uh, then the economic references feel like they'd be off because they talk about a Superman comic going from a nickel to twelve cents. You're right, they do. Um, I mean that that's on Miller. Well, all this is on Miller. I... <laughs> okay. So you have that. So I was I was thinking, you know, depression, which this isn't. But if you want to set this in the 70s, even then there's a few materials and shirt designs that wouldn't have been possible in that day because of the limit of uh, material fabrication that's shown in this book with uh, patterns and whatnot. They have stuff that's clearly supposed to be from basically the time this was written so modern era and then everything is uh the locales the sensibilities and more importantly the language used uh wouldn't come from anything pre 90s there's slang and uh um references used that don't line up as well like we already got to something else so when this is supposed to be set is a mystery since all that we get is some years ago. Right. Which, you know, I, I I think having Miller do this book is a misstep because not only is it a Scottish guy trying to write American teenagers, it's a Scottish guy trying to write American teenagers in the past. Um, 
that's not why Miller was the wrong choice for this. This is during Miller's dark and edgy phase and giving him any sense of this is part of the reason this became a sleazy, depressing book, which gets back to the uh, this is for females thing with Greg Land-esque art, which is problematic to begin with. Admittedly, we're getting hindsight 2020 here, but the idea of oh man, some girl's so fast and loose that she gets teen pregnant is going to be what appeals to girls in the way that, um... Oh, what's that one with the BDSM porn thing that got... Fifty Shades? Yeah, Fifty Shades of Grey is supposed to appeal to girls but got torn up and down from feminist critiques and the BDSM community, most notably. Uh, this book smacks of that kind of misunderstanding not the bdsm part well i mean i i want to get to to how that's all handled in in just a little bit but again to defend the book those are the kind of stories that the that is told in the in the these genres like i mean it goes all the way back to the uh beach party stories or beach party movies that I was talking about earlier, just just the removal of the parental authority figures, uh, you know, the surrogate adult figures act like the village idiot, um, you know, wild parties, you know, unbridled teenage sexuality, like all of this has a history and, and it is a, a convention of these genres. So, I mean, and they've always been popular with teens. So, I, I don't I don't think that Miller was remiss in employing a plot line like this to appeal to a different kind of like a younger teen demographic because that those those were the stories that were popular at that time. I mean, the OC and One Tree Hill both came out the same year that this comic came out. OC ran for four seasons, One Tree Hill ran for nine seasons, and they all dealt with these like teen pregnancies and constant betrayals and infidelities and all of these involving you know, high school aged kids. So, I mean, they struck when the iron was hot. This was the zeitgeist, you know, for that target demographic. It just didn't catch on, I think, because it never made it to the bookstores. Okay, I see what you're saying, and I do see where I didn't quite mean what I said, but I did make a misstep. It, it's not the exact plot line that's the <laughs> full issue here, though the connection makes it a problem. Um, the uh the execution of it and the characterization of everyone in this book is what makes that plot line a problem because the way this happens no one's likable oh even fun you know they're just no one's funny no one's witty no one's much of anything it's just kind of uh perfunctory and miserable (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that's definitely where I will say that this comic does fall f- a little bit flat is, uh, in that the characters, especially Ben and Richie, they never really have a good establishing moment to establish the difference between their personalities. We're told that Ben is supposed to be a little bit shyer, a little bit more reserved than Richie, who is supposed to be like the hot shot and the one who can, uh, I can't remember the exact turn of phrase they use. I think it was charm of the birds out of a tree. Um, but we never like, we're, we're only told that, but the two act virtually the same. They have no problem seducing 
you know, the two female leads and it's just, it's, it's, it, and then especially with the, the two female leads having very similar names, it gets a little confusing toward the end when it's a lot of he said, she said, and it's very easy to, to confuse the two names because the two characters don't have much that differentiates between between the two other than may has sex on the first date and mary wants to wait a little bit that's really the only two the the only thing that separates those two characters yeah pretty much (laughs) yeah sorry i didn't give you much to go off there Um, no it's fine i just mm -hmm. when we're talking about the characterization there's not much to go off of there right right yeah no there's really not and you know, maybe I'm being too kind in saying this would have found an audience had it made to the bookstores because yeah. that is the fatal flaw. You know, these the, the series, the way they can get away with having such reviled actions with the characters is that you get really invested in these characters. And other than the Spider-Man aspect of these characters, which at the end of the comic is mostly an afterthought, there's no reason to be invested in these four kids. Right. All right. Should we put the pin back in or is there any other aspect you want to cover? Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's time to to readdress the Spider-Man aspect of this comic because it is it is the white elephant in the room with this supposedly being the origin of Peter Parker. Uh, going back to that original press conference, there was what appeared to be an offhand offhanded comment. I think it was by Jameis saying that like Wolverine Origins, they wanted to go ahead and tell an origin story before one of the movies could. So I don't know if this was like if this was actually that like cynical a reason behind the story or if that was kind of a more off the cuff uh comment it's it's a little hard to tell when when you're reading it rather than listening to you know them say it but that is something to keep in mind that it it's possible that this comic was just put out there so that they wouldn't have to deal with Sony coming up with some sort of origin for Peter's parents like they eventually did with Amazing Spider-Man which was better than this uh, that's arguable because I really hate those movies. But that's if you want my opinions on. Well, I guess you didn't get my opinions on on those adapting Spider-Man uh, articles I wrote. But uh, if you want my opinions on the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they are awful. That's see, I'm the opposite end where that's more my more unpopular opinion. Where I think Amazing Spider-Man Two is the best Spider-Man movie made. So. All right, podcast over. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're, we're we're getting off topic though. We we can talk about the movies some. That's other time. fine. Let's go off topic. Yeah. Anything no. to get away from this book. No, no, no. I wanted <laughs> to talk about this book. <laughs> All right. So you said in the past you have a defense of this book. Um, have you stated it, or is there anything else? Well, no, no, I, I have stated it. You know, I've, I've talked around it. But I don't know if I flat out said it, but I think at the end of the day, no one really accepts this as the origin of Peter Parker, not the mainline Peter Parker. This could be 
any number of Elseworld or whatever Marvel calls them, because Elseworld is the DC word. But, you know, and as far as what ifs, yeah. You know, as far as that goes, if if you look at this as at face value of what it's supposed to be, you know, just a teen you know teen drama teen soap opera whatever you want to call it it's a serviceable entry into that genre and it integrates the spider-man you know aspects into it i think as necessity and i mean comic books i mean it's 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 a medium that is not only extremely hesitant to pick up new ips but even more so to accept new genres so, I mean, can you name any of the other, uh, you know, epic books that came out, you know, of this line? Because I certainly can't. There's but we Scarlet, all... there's Powers. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Powers is Icon. And then later, because of the publishing switch, but yeah. Uh, okay, well, anyway. Um, way to destroy my point. Plus, <laughs> plus those are both Bendis, and both those, those also there both are. were republished later. They were. Um, okay. There's also some Brew Baker Phillips uh, on the run. Originally, uh, Criminal was Icon. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's only a handful more because, like you said, it wasn't a super successful. It ended up just being a way to keep Marvel creators from going to Image to publish their self-published stuff and keep it more in-house, which didn't go very far. Oh, also Casanova, I believe, was on Icon for a hot minute, and then that got moved around. So, yeah. Well, anyway, now that you've hurt my feelings. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I want to say that I, it, it, was, it was out of necessity just because that, that's the only way to get a book like this noticed by you know, your typical comic book reader um, is, is to tie it into a previously established character. I, I mean, to go back to the press conference again because it's the best source you can find on... on trouble because after it was released it was quickly dismissed uh i mean even even Jameis was was aware of this he said you know for the thousands of people we can reach to with this comic we can increase that hundredfold by tying it to spider-man somehow and so it it, it has these ties to spider-man for notoriety so that we talk about it so that you know, people like us will eventually talk about it. So I don't necessarily fault them for doing that, especially when Spider-Man has a history, and Marvel Comics has a history of writing things that are not necessarily in continuity and something they continue to do and continue to kind of tease with, well, if you guys like it, it's in continuity. If you don't like it, then you don't have to worry about it. I mean, we just got that with Spidey where original solicits were like, yeah, this is the brand new 100% canon. Throw away your Steve Ditko and Stan Lee comics. Those don't count anymore. You know, this is it. And then I don't know if it was after the first issue or right before the first issue, uh, you know, they backpedaled. Alonzo backpedaled and said, well, you know, it's up to the fans to decide if this is canon or not. And they did the same thing here. So, 
And I liked Spidey. You know, the fact that it wasn't canon didn't affect my enjoyment for that. And so the effect, the fact that this is not canon doesn't affect my enjoyment for that. In fact, it probably makes it much more enjoyable because this would be a terrible origin for Spider-Man just because it, one, like you pointed out, it really messes up with the timeline to have May and uh, Richard be the same age-ish, you know, to conceive... Uh, conceives Peter Parker and then two it throws in a bunch of wrinkles just into what's already kind of been established I mean I, I think the Stan Lee uh, Amazing Annual 5 or Amazing Spider-Man Annual 5 states that Richard and Mary met when they were CIA agents and this has the meeting when they were you know doinking everyone in sight uh, in the Hamptons so all of that is to say is I think people judge this book unfairly because of the perceived connection to mainline Spider-Man, which was something I think was never actually done in earnest and more done as just a uh, publicity stunt. Okay, so if I take your argument and try to reevaluate this comic with the ending being a Peter, not our Peter... Right. As it were. It's still hot trash. It's bad, man. Like, it's a romance comic that doesn't care to have quality characterization of its characters. And there's a lot of argument for within comics, you know, plot versus characterization, what's more important at a given moment. In a romance story, it's never a question. It's characterization first. And this ain't got that. So it's going to fall flat. Like, I know the OC and whatever your backstabby teen, whatever dramas are going to have, you know, these high drama moments. But it's also stretched over seasons with episodes that are 40 minutes. This whole thing would be maybe two episodes if they stretched out some of the stuff. And they're introducing a few other characters on the side. uh, Weird stuff with the camp counselors. And it just isn't there and again like we said earlier we're going to put the pin back in then we went on a whole tangent if we have to assume this is the ben parker that spider-man grieves over and decides to become you know a hero over whoo man that really is a sucker punch from some backward incontinuity if this is the aunt may that's supposed to be worried about to uh, fawn over if she discovered a discrepancy. Not even if Peter was Spider-Man, but that he could be getting bad grades or in financial trouble at all. That's a different character. Entirely. Irrecorably. Uh, if this is the, uh, yeah, the super spies that are supposed to go off and become Peter Parker's parents, not parents, that really raises a whole question of... So, like, they, well, half had a kid, and then they get together to raise each other to prove their love over a kid, and then they become spies and pass the kid back? No. This doesn't work on any conceivable level. (laughs) 
All right, yeah, you, you definitely have a point there where, and I, 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 I admitted to it, uh, you, you know, where this, this really messes with the kind of previously established history with, with the characters. And yeah, the characterization doesn't really match one, 100% up with how we see these characters in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man. But these are also when these characters are very, very young. I mean, they're still in high school. They're still learning. They're still growing up. They're still making mistakes. I mean, they make a lot of mistakes. That's what the whole trouble is about. Oh, my God. I'm just really testing your patience right now with this entire episode. (laughs) You and our listeners, I feel. No, our listeners love this. I'm already getting calls in. Um... (laughs) Because we're doing this live. <laughs> Do we have access to the Red Goblin live? <laughs> uh, I'm sure we can talk to Dan and Mark about that. Uh, well, all right. Well, let's 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 go back to really the only part of substance in this comic. Because I'm not quite done to close close the the book on this issue. Sweet tap dancing crackers. <laughs> yeah, I'm pulling you right back in. You hate this. <laughs> oh All right. So we get, you know, toward the end end of the comic, we, we get to some kind of like real life drama where, you know, we've gone past the the fleeting indiscretions and whatnot. And then we have May dealing with the you know, being stuck in the rock and the hard place between, well, do I go back to my parents who as, as may admits, you know, they'll, they'll beat on each other over this and, you know, some send someone to the hospital again, or does she stay with this guy who picked her up off the side of the road, who is clearly not a great person and, you know, may fears for her life with this guy and, and just how do, how do you feel about like the the drama of the teen pregnancy? How do you feel like that was handled? Do you feel like that was handled in a realistic way, or or do you do you feel like it was completely overdone, or or what what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, this is melodrama for melodrama's sake. I mean, yeah, she's in a bad situation already, and her parents would be in a bad place with it depending on the time this is supposed to be set, that goes from, I guess, a bit more believable to completely overwrought, though Mm -hmm. what a teenager might believe. And then back to her feeling her only other options to be with someone like that, as opposed to running back to Ben initially, it just doesn't, it doesn't even like add up considering how selfish she's been this whole way like why wouldn't she go for the best option for herself to again the characterization this book doesn't even line up so uh, no right so 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 what you're saying is that the characterization in this book book isn't really strong enough for you to get a solid read on on what what you think the character would do I'm just, saying like, it's not just... consistent enough from issue to issue to even fit within its own continuity. I'm not going to say that I knew people who had a situation even close to similar to this, but I, I, I just think that it, it plays out in, 
in a believable way for me within the scope, again, of teen soap operas, you know, where, of course, you know, she finds herself in a horrible situation and her parents at home, it's not a safe haven there. There, there is no safe haven. And she feels like she can't go back to her boyfriend because she feels like she's ruined all of that. She's ruined her relationship with her best friend. She's ruined her relation, her best friend's relationship with her boyfriend. And she might have even ruined, like, ruined the, the family relationship between Ben and Richard. So I, I can see why she might not think that's a choice. And kind of in like a self-flagellation stays with this guy in the trailer park, scrubbing his underwear, which, uh, you know, Miller gives us that, that very specific detail. And again, like that, that martyrdom, I, I feel like was supposed to be some sort of like character beat. But I, again, that's just not Miller's strong suit. So it didn't really come come across very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's 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 what I have to say about that. Maybe maybe that's something our listeners can argue about in in the comments section because I know they're all waiting, you know, fingers fingers aching to just type out re- rebuttals to defend this comic with me because um you know, I'm I'm not sure at this point. You've you've kind of convinced me that I might have I might have been a little overzealous in and saying that this was a, something defensible. But good, good. <laughs> let the hate flow through you. <laughs> All right. Well, I really hate to get to this part of the of the the show because I, I feel like we've kind of already touched that, and I'm also not ready to take the beating i feel like i'm about to but does this feel like a (laughs) spider-man story to you how and why would you say that this feels like a spider-man story i'm just gonna go ahead and read the header from the script (laughs) i don't think this feels like a spider-man story because there's no Spider-Man in it. Nor is there any character from the Spider-Man mythos or lore actually in this book. Really, it's a question as to why we're covering it on this podcast at all. Well, because there is that connection to the Spider-Man like lore. Like it's it's known as a Spider-Man story. Its legacy is its connection to Spider-Man, and that's what we're doing with this show is finding these very tertiary connections to the Spider-Man story and trying to help us understand Spider-Man better. Like, why did Marvel pick Spider-Man for this? Was it just because Spider-Man was their most popular IP at the time? Yes. Would you... Well, I mean, you could argue that it wasn't. I mean, this was right after the Sam Raimi movie. So, you know, 2003... That would have been, what, like right at the beginning of the JMS run, right around the time of Sin's Past. Um, I would make the argument that X-Men was still bigger than Spider-Man at this point. Like, and like going to go and give a hot take on, does this feel like a Spider-Man story? And say, while this doesn't employ Spider-Man characters... <laughs> The thing we're supposed to be talking about. Man, I'm, I'm going to have to give you like a slinger's ear. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
<laughs> year of the slingers. I mean, if we could <laughs> one book a uh, month. <laughs> um, you know, it just. You know, I'm just I'm not even gonna argue with it at this point. It's not a conversation. <laughs> like I said, I've taken my licks. Um, uh, you have an interesting note here, though. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I felt like I've been mining this press conference a little too heavily during this this podcast. Like I might as well just post it in the show notes and just tell you to read that instead. But Jameis again uh, compared trouble and specifically. The, the idea of teen pregnancy and, you know, illegitimacy in, in, in child, child rearing, he connected it and compared it to the drug issue of the, of the Stan Lee Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 98, The Green Goblin Reborns. He said where, like, he, where this comic was 20 years ahead of its time and not a day too soon talking about number 98 and he compared trouble to this and to the the concept of teen pregnancy and not wanting to write a teen drama that kind of skirted around these real issues that teens were facing um you know with 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 so you know that's that might have just been them hyping up the story, trying to connect it to like a very historic thing. And by the way, Matt scoffed. I think he agrees that perhaps that was them trying to hype this up. But I think he does have a point in that, you know, th- this comic does try to take a real world and grounded approach. You know, grounded what? as you can do. grounded as you can do in a like melodrama but like it's you know like all these things are things that that are within the realm of happening and and within the realm of happening within these supercharged personalities like there's no there's no like violent firebombing at like the 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 clinic when when May goes to get a consultation on on an abortion or anything, there's there's no there's no like high drama that that could happen. All of it is is stuff that's very contained to the people that it's happening to, rather than having these wild events happening no, to them on top of this. You're glazing over it. So the entire drama of that whole thing happens within mere pages at the end of the comic right sandwiched between the resolution of the summer camp to this happening to them meeting again so they can have the trade-off twice so that they can end with what would link into spider-man continuity supposedly even though it doesn't fit if you take any characterization into it so no they don't address what would be the hot button issue or what would make this timely or relevant or enduring the part that they have with the um with the clinic would be was held within a panel but not even the entirety of what they cover in a panel like it's fast (laughs) right well Whereas Spider-Man 98, the drug issue is built up to and then dealt with throughout the issue and was held at the time as the issue to talk about drugs, which is why it flew without the code and has been cited by at least three creators I've seen in documentaries as the issue that their parents bought for them to keep them from getting hooked on drugs, but instead got them hooked on comics 
word for word verbatim across multiple creators because that was the meat of that story that was the focus and where they took their time to tell the tale okay well you know that's all well and good and fair and a very well thought out and and you know argued point but i'm just gonna be stubborn about this (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm just i'm gonna plant plant my feet and like firmly like a tree and say no you move uh, <laughs> you know uh anyway all right as you're as you're rooting in as you're planning down as you're being fully stubborn about the validity of this story there's only one real question we have to ask on this podcast What's should that? this story be reissued or remain untold I mean, I feel like we all know what your opinion on the matter is. Uh, as you've been fighting me tooth and nail on this. And I'm, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to say this should be untold. You know, at the end of the day, there's not a lot of reason to pick this up. There are much better examples of this particular genre elsewhere, unless you're looking for a comic book. You know, as far as just a comic book goes, I can't think of too many examples that uh, in this in this particular niche of the greater romance, you know, genre, I, I can't think of any examples. So unless you're just super, super interested in that or you just really like the Dodson's art, which, you know, we didn't really talk much about, but I felt was not their strongest work. Uh, in this, uh, do, you, do you want to do like a, just to have like a short, short opinion on the art? Do you think this was, this was on par with what we saw in, uh, Marvel Knights Spider-Man since it was the same art team? No, I, I think this is a much lesser effort than that on, uh, Marvel Knights because they don't get the time or effort or the story to like put anything into. I mean, this is Dotson art, but none of this rang as Dotson art to me to pull me back to any point of it. So, yeah, and I'll completely agree with that here. I, I felt like this was, you know, a rare misstep for them, which was unfortunate because this kind of like the, these kind of stories are, are are sold on on the visuals and and you know the the glamour of the characters, and it wasn't really delivered here, unfortunately. Um, so there we go. We we can agree on something there. Uh, and all that to say is that I believe this should remain untold. Yeah, let it remain untold. All right, and then, so the next piece of contention between the two of us. On the great web of rankings, does this go dead last, or does this go above Cosmic Carnage? Because let's not even argue that it's going to be anywhere other than those two positions. Let's have you start. Where would you put it? I'm going to put it above cosmic carnage how why because i think ultimately cosmic carnage failed to deliver on a cosmic carnage we never got to see like a what happened like what a cosmic powered carnage looks like we never got that threat it was entirely you know an internal battle with the silver surfer in carnage told like told through exposition which just 
ended with maybe two or three panels of Spider-Man punching the guy to no effect. There was there was no moment for Spider-Man to, to rise above a physical challenge that he should not be able to overcome. And, and so ultimately, what we, what we were promised, a cosmic-powered carnage and, and the danger that that... that uh, presents was never followed through on we never got that meanwhile in trouble we're told we're gonna get a teen drama and that's what we got you know now whether or not you call it a good teen drama or not the fact that that you know the bar is set so low by cosmic carnage i'm gonna say that that trouble cleared that hurdle that you know they were they told a story competently or not okay i okay so first of all, your bar is insanely different here. This is some insane goalpost fallacies going on. One is, while I agree with you, the cosmic car- carnage was never completely sold. That story at least gave us the conflict between the two cosmic characters, took it into space, and had a revelation of the Silver Surfer and Galactus dealing with a planet that was full of symbiotes and having consequences all these years later in the most unlikely of places. There's at least some dramatic tension and drama, and at least the story was told across the characters. Whereas, you're saying Trouble lived up to the bar of being technically a drama that has teenagers in it. No, no, teen (laughs) drama is a very specific genre no it's not it's drama teenagers with it and there's inevitably boobies (laughs) there are tropes you you have there are tropes in everything that's what happens when you tell multiple stories tropes inevitably happen (laughs) you have to let me finish my point you can't just attack right now you can't just attack the sentence before I'm able to finish. You drove me to drink. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Go on. No, I'm going to say that in the teen drama genre, there are tropes that this this that this has in common with other teen dramas like i like i said all going back to the beach party movies of the 60s where you have you know the the expulsion of the parental influence and then the like demasculization of the surrogate parental and and you know by extension patriarchal i I have Uh, to interject who's the surrogate parental here oh what's his name like the the foppish counselor who gets caught with like the 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 bikini top the one oh, what what's the line the like the amazing line he says um what in god's name kind of orgastic activities have been going on out here um this is your uh, selling point for this book okay all right <laughs> my feelings are officially hurt <laughs> Whoever is listening out to this right now, if you've ever been interested in co-hosting a Spider-Man podcast, <laughs> I'm currently looking for a replacement. <laughs> All right, okay, enough wasting people's time. <laughs> so we can put this at the bottom of the pile where it rightfully belongs. 
You're not going to budge on it. So, all right, let's uh, at the bottom, at the bottom. Not only is this at the bottom, this is so at the bottom. It's uninteresting for the rest of our podcast because this will forever be the worst thing we have. Oh, don't challenge me. (laughs) (laughs) Never say that. All right. Okay. I'll say this because I feel like I owe you a card. Do you want to play your card and put this above Cosmic Carnage? Uh, no, you know what? I'm I'm gonna pocket that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna save my phone a friend, and uh, will I, I will concede that this one probably deserves to be on the bottom of 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 the the list. The conciliatory part. Is that it's only entry what on the list thus far? Seven. It's still in our top ten. Yeah, it's still a top ten. <laughs> and it will be a top ten until episode 11. <laughs> I like how you're already calling it now. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to hit everyone with a terrible like terrible comic too close together. Like We, we want to get some good ones no, that people are going to enjoy. Sprinkled in there. Speaking of good comics, since you did the legwork on this one, do you want to share the good news with everybody about our next episode? I would love to, Kane. You lovely, beautiful man. (laughs) (laughs) So, when we started this podcast, one of the titles that sprung to mind before I even started doing any research or looking through my collection for better ideas was none other than The Child Within, which is a story that had a lot of resonance to me, not only as an early Spider-Man comic, but one that I felt did a lot for the character, and one that just stood out to me as a strong comic of any time through the years I've been reading comics. And not only do we get to talk about one of my favorites, but we were able to enlist the writer J.M. DeMatteis to discuss The Child Within with us. So I am super pumped about this. I hope you are too, Kane. Oh, I am more than pumped. So for those at home, The Child Within is Spectacular Spider-Man number 178 through 184. Uh, The Child Within is one of six, or is a six-part story, and then there's a issue epilogue aftermath after that so if you want to read those before you listen to the next episode those are the issue numbers uh i think unfortunately they are not available online as far as uh unlimited or comiXology goes but nor has it ever been collected nor has it ever been collected but i was able to buy these piece by piece at my shop for fairly cheap uh, I think it was just whatever the going rate for back issues was at, at that store. I think it was $3. I, uh, <laughs> I'd also be remiss not to note that a certain Chasing Amazing blog has noted this as the second greatest Green Goblin storyline of all time. But yeah, yeah, so that, that, that's, that's, our, that's our fun news. We've been sitting on that one for a little while. Uh, waiting to get confirmation from JM that he was going to be able to appear on the show. We just got it today. So we are excited to share that with you guys. 
we did this podcast just so we could deliver that piece of news. So really, you can just you could have just skipped all of trouble just to listen to that one piece. Um, there's no more efficient way to release news to you guys. Not definitely not through a Twitter channel or a Facebook page or even the Slack. Uh, <laughs> we had to cover this book. Uh, anyway, of which, happy Mother's Day, everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, that was. <laughs> what what a book to cover on Mother's Day. Um, anyway, thanks to everyone for listening to this very contentious episode. Uh, you can always subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this show on right now to get the latest episodes. Or if you're listening to, on the website, you can check the show notes for links to your platform of choice. You are more than welcome to leave a review for the show we love to hear feedback from you guys i promise the next the next issue or the next episode is going to be covering a great story and we'll be covering much better stories than trouble here on out we had to get this we had to get this one out of the way um if you'd like to support the show please consider joining the amazing spider talk patreon for three dollars and 99 cents a month you get exclusive access to my and matt's spider-man b-title reviews as well as the amazing spider talks review of amazing spider-man on top of that you also get access to the exclusive patreon only channel and the greater amazing spider talk slack channel uh for those wish to donate even further we have a ten dollar a month tier uh, called the Excelsior Club, which, on top of all the uh, all the other incentives, also gets you art from Spider-Man artists commissioned twice a year. In addition to all that lovely Patreon goodness, if you're looking for even more Spider-Man podcasts, you should try the Amazing Spider Talk. If you're looking for an in-depth encyclopedic, but in a good way, look at The Amazing Spider-Man and the history behind the title. You can find The Amazing Spider-Talk and our podcast as well on AmazingSpiderTalk.com. Also on The Amazing Spider-Talk Network, if you're looking for Spider-Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales, you need to check out The Ultimate Spin, the single best podcast on the net to keep up with those two characters. And of course, we want to give a special thanks to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you want to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, check out the show notes in our links. And until Aunt May becomes a spokeswoman for men's prophylactics, make mine untold. That's why JJ pays me the big bucks. Say cheese!